everybody, and welcome to Snescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo library, four games at a time. We play them briefly, judge them harshly, and rank them, and that's pretty much all you need to know. I'm Steampunk Link. And I'm Emmy Zero. And uh, we got quite a mixed bag today. I'm, I'm just going to come right out and say that we've got quite a mixed bag today. Yes, uh, we sure do, and not possibly in all the ways that you dear listener may be expecting if you know what games we're playing today. I will say I had an interesting time with all of these games in uh, both good ways and bad ways in, in certain cases. So. These games, well, one of these games in particular uh, made me a lot more wistful and maybe even a little bit sad than I was expecting, but we'll, we'll get to it. World League Soccer really got you deep in your feelings, didn't it? I will try not to cry too much when we talk about it, but yes, yeah, it really uh, got me right here. I don't know why I said that. Uh, the, the listeners cannot see what part of my body I just I just tapped. Just use your imagination. Maybe it was my stomach. Maybe it made me hungry. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it did. Uh, who knows? So I don't know if I've got too much else to really open this show with. I, I think maybe we just yeah, we I, just I'd get say right into it. Let's uh, roll right on in to our first game. perhaps uh shift into a, a certain gear to to prepare ourselves yeah let's uh let's let's make it the top gear okay all right that, that sounds fun i i have no idea how cars work yeah me either they're very mysterious i know how video game cars work sometimes though i press buttons and they go faster sometimes i press another button and a bad noise stops happening and the car goes faster still uh that's what's called a gear shift in a video game this game uh top gear is uh is full of those can i make a confession here in all these racing games i just put the the transmission to automatic because i just cannot be bothered i can't be bothered i'm sorry i know that every car person out there is just furious at me they're like what you're driving an automatic you that's it i'm done i'm not listening to this anymore but i'm, I'm sorry okay <laughs> i'm a video game person i'm not a car that's person good. we got different perspectives i sometimes find like racing games that do have a gear shift the gameplay to me feels like a little bit less engaging engaging without the gear shift so usually i'll do a few races with the the automatic on and then i'll turn it to manual just so that you know there's there's sort of like another thing for me to kind of noodle around with a little bit in this honestly i feel like i could have just kept it on automatic you do just get to the top gear fifth gear basically and then just want to keep it there as as much as possible when you're at like max speed so i don't really think that has a lot of <laughs> a lot of actual influence on on this game but but I did have a really good time playing this game. I did too. When it comes to, you know, racing games and sports cars and everything, again, not a car guy. I usually just feel like, oh, this is going to be a whole thing. But I really enjoyed this. I, I started out by watching a YouTube video, and I was really impressed by the verticality of a lot of the racetracks here. It was clear pretty early on that this game was not using the Super Nintendo Mode 7, and I think it's to the game's benefit because... With a Mode 7, you'd just be driving around a flat bitmap image, where here, you actually get to see a lot of uh, dynamic elements in the racetrack, uh, not the least of which is, you know, little hills and valleys. I think it looks great. It is a lot like uh, Sega's, like, Super Scalar games, you know, like OutRun. I really like this style of sprite-based racing game like this, and uh, I think this is a really good one. So you want to talk a little bit about who made this game? Yeah, I would love to. So we've got Kemco, who's the uh, publisher on this one. And we talked a little bit about Kemco when we talked about Lagoon. So this franchise is actually surprisingly long running with games, uh, according to Giant Bomb at least, coming out well into the aughts. I, I don't know how many of those we actually saw stateside, but yeah, the series was going on for quite some time. And a company I don't believe we've talked about yet is Gremlin Graphics, which is a British studio based out of uh, Sheffield that developed the game. They, they were quite a big name in uh, like British microcomputer games, right? Yeah, they actually started out as just a computer store in 1984 called Just Micro. By the time, you know, another year had passed, they were in the business of making games and software, uh, mostly at that point for systems like the ZX Spectrum and the Commodore 64, because, you know, they're British and all. Yeah, that's what was... That's what was happening there, basically. Gremlin would be acquired in 1999 by Infogrames. Infogrames? 
Grames? I'm going to say Grames. Yeah, I don't, I've never known how to pronounce that. Yeah. And uh, sadly, they went down with that ship when it got absorbed by Atari. That'll probably be a story for when we cover our first Info Grames game. Slight happy ending to this. One of Gremlin's founders, uh, Ian Stewart, was actually able to buy back the rights to some of Gremlin's old games from Atari. So he's at least got access to those again, I guess. That's kind of nice. And uh, yeah, that's about all I've got on Gremlin, unless you had anything else to, to add no, to that no, one. No, I, I, I don't have anything there, um, but uh, I'm happy to, to talk more about this game because I had a very good time playing this. The first time I sat down to play it, I, I meant to play it for just like a few minutes to sort of see what it was like before coming back later for like a longer run with it. And I ended up playing it for a lot longer than I expected to because I had a really good time. The races are fast and it's nice to see so many different sort of course layouts. I really enjoyed the way it looked the way the way the car felt to drive some things i really liked about the game is you know aside from just the fact that uh because it's not using mode 7 it's not uh limited by that technology so you've got you know a more varied topography of the racetracks the racetracks themselves have a lot of different elements to them obstacles and terrain types and things like that that i'm not sure you could have done or qu- could have done quite as easily with the Mode 7? Yeah, I think they would have been a little harder to communicate with the Mode 7 than they are here. And uh, longer courses even feature pit stops, so you have to kind of make a decision on when you want to pit and refuel your car, because you won't have enough fuel to actually make it through all of the laps with most of the cars. Some of them actually have enough fuel efficiency that you can even avoid pitting in some of the long-ish races, which is you know kind of a neat thing. So it's like, hey, do I want to sacrifice a little bit of speed and maneuverability for not having to pit in this race. So you do have four cars to choose from. They all have uh, pretty different stats, which are pretty well laid out for you. So, you know, you've got a good idea of what you're getting into. The sense of speed in this game is really fantastic. And the music does a great job of, of you know, really getting you pumped and, and just wanting to really put your, I mean, not your foot on the gas, but your, your thumb on the... Thumb on the button, yeah. Yeah. Not really a lot of slowdown to speak of, though I do think the frame rate dropped uh, a bit here and there when there was a lot of elements on the screen which that got a little bit noticeable in places but for the most part the sense of speed is just really really fantastic absolutely yeah tracks here. That's a lot of tracks. Yep, and uh, you know, a lot of them have really different elements. I drove on one track at night, and my car even had its headlamps on and, and illuminating. I love that. Yeah, that's that's so. It looks so yeah. good. Um, there were some tracks where you go through tunnels and stuff like that. It's it's all just surprisingly well done for a game of this vintage. I was really impressed with the whole thing. Uh, game has two player, which you know. F-Zero didn't have that. The downside to that is that even if you're playing one player, the screen is going to be split horizontally. There's a computer player racing on the the bottom half of the screen in that case. So I know that Mario Kart does the same thing where the screen is is split in half. And Mario Kart actually like had to do that because for whatever reason wasn't able to render the like gameplay any any other way, I guess. So I don't know if something similar is going on here. I would imagine that that's probably the case, that they would have given you a full screen option, one player otherwise. That being said, that didn't really bother me in this game. I wasn't feeling a lack of, like, the screen real estate. I kind of wish that it was full screen, but I don't really... It doesn't bother me much. I didn't find it to be terribly distracting either. It really wasn't an issue for me. One other thing that I found really interesting about this game is uh, when I was digging around in the options, this game features four different controller button layouts to choose from, including one that actually has you flipping the controller upside down so that it can be more accessible to left-handed players, which I thought was a really interesting thing. Oh, that's really cool. Um, Not something I can remember seeing on any other Super Nintendo game off the top of my head. No, yeah. It does mean that you don't have access to the L and R buttons, so shifting it has to be done on the face buttons, which also necessitates uh, mapping a regular function to the select button, I believe it is. It's nice that the option's there, though. It's a shame that more games didn't attempt something like that. Yeah, seriously. If you're a fan of racing games at all, this one is a must-play, I would say. And even if you're not, I think there's a lot to like about this one. One last thing to say that I think is kind of cool is that um, this game was apparently extremely popular in Brazil. 
And uh, there is a game that just came out uh, a few years ago. It's called Horizon Chase that was made by uh, a Brazilian game studio as a tribute to this game. And they even got the guy who did the music for this back to do the music for that game. So there is actually a game out there that you can play on a lot of different systems that is very much just like an HD modern version of this this type of game cool i did not know that so that's really interesting to find out and um the music credits on this game are barry leach leach maybe yes and uh hiro yuki masuno so i'm not sure um which of them or if both of them were the ones who were tapped for the i, I believe barry barry leach was the barry one leach. Okay. that did the music for horizon for horizon chase uh, that was just a, a cool thing that I wanted to mention, but that was my last thing. So do you want to go ahead and, and figure out a place for this on our list? Yeah, let's do that. So we don't have a ton of racing games on here. Yeah, we, we've got two racing games here at number 11 and 10, which is uh, F-Zero at 11 and Super Off-Road at number 10. And I'll be honest, I think I like this better than both of those. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a very good game. So far, at least, it is the best racing game we've played on the system. Number nine, we have Darius Twin. I think I like this better than Darius Twin, too. Yep, I agree with that. Uh, number eight, we've got Lemmings. And that's a harder comparison to make, maybe. But I, I think I would go with this one. This, this one is a really technically impressive game and a game that I just really enjoyed playing a, a great deal. definitely think like Lemmings is probably a slower burn and could... You know, there's content there that could probably keep you going longer. But I think Top Gear just has that instant gratification. Like, you're just immediately drawn in. And, and yeah, so I, I think I want to put this above Lemmings. Then we have Contra 3, which, you know, is, is also kind of one of those games where it's, like, just really dropping you into the action pretty quickly. It also can be played two-player. I think Contra 3, though, is complex in a way that can sort of get in the way of having fun with that game that I don't think Top Gear has a problem with. What do you think? I agree, because I'm thinking about, like, the stuff in Contra 3. You know, I think that in trying to do several different kind of spins on its core gameplay, Contra 3 can be, like, continually exciting, but it can also be pretty frustrating if you die uh, just because you didn't really understand, like, what the game's controls were, like, sort of asking you to do with them at, at, at that time. And then we have UN Squadron at number six, and I'm not sure if I would put this above UN Squadron. I think UN Squadron, again, you know, like, does a good job of dropping you into the action and, and you know, has a really great soundtrack behind it as well. Well, I don't know. It's, it's tough. I think I'm more interested overall in UN Squadron's, like, game design, like, the, the structure of the game and the options it gives you than I am in top gears like top gear is so straightforward in in that sense that there's a little bit less to hang on to than than what i find with the un squadron i think i'm with you there so i think between un squadron and contra 3 making this our new number seven sounds good all right so congratulations top gear number seven breaking into that top 10 on the list yeah yeah, when I saw that Top Gear was on the docket, I certainly would not have thought this was going to be a top 10 game, but boy, I really enjoyed this, though. Now that we've got that one out of the way, do we want to move on to uh, something uh, considerably less impressive? Yeah, let's uh, let's kick the ball a little bit further down the road here. So next up, we've got World League Soccer. Yeah. Yeah, so this one was a little bit tricky to untangle. Uh, looking up World League Soccer unearths two other game titles, Pro Soccer, which was what the game was called in Japan, and Kickoff 2. And I wasn't quite sure how Kickoff 2 factored into this, but it turns out World League Soccer is something of a modified port of Kickoff 2, which was released for the Amiga and developed by Dino Dini, who... What a fun name. Fun name, and something of a big deal in the world of video soccer. He was uh, the guy behind the Kickoff series and the Player Manager series. And uh, according to Giant Bomb, is perhaps still a singer-songwriter as well? I, I couldn't confirm that anywhere else, so... I, okay. Maybe that's true, I don't know. Maybe they're confusing him with another Dino Dini. It sounds like a musician's name, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Anyway, so getting back on track here, uh, World League Soccer came out on the Super NES in North America. It also came out on the uh, X68K in Japan. It was developed by C-Lab. C-Lab? No, not C-Lab. C as in S-E-A-Lab, but C, the letter C hyphen, 
lab. And also, oddly enough, not the C-lab that Wikipedia links to from the World League soccer page. That's a different C-lab, I'm pretty sure. They make um, audio interface hardware and software. This C-lab was a, a small Japanese developer, mostly made games for the Super Famicom 68K and PC-98 hardware. As far as I can tell, this might be the only game of theirs that actually came to the U.S. This was also published by Mindscape, who I believe we've talked about before. Their their games include uh, The Chess Master. So this game is uh, the first soccer game we've had on the Super Nintendo, I think. I don't know what to say about this exactly. It's so simple. This feels like a game out of time, almost, I would say, even for, like, 1992. This feels like a much older game. Yeah, you know, in a way, I could draw a lot of parallels uh, between this and Bill Lambier's Combat Basketball, which was also sort of a quasi-port of an older basketball simulation. Both of these games are top-down affairs where you're just looking at very simple sprites, although in this game, the sprites are even tinier than the ones in Bill Lane Beers. They're like stick figures, basically. Like, mm-hmm. you could say this looks more like an NES game than a Super NES game, but honestly, I think this looks even older. This looks like an Intellivision game or something to me. Just like basically representative art at this point. Yeah. It plays reasonably well. Like, it's fast, which is nice. Yeah, I, w- I would definitely say it plays better than Bill Lane Beers combat basketball oh for sure most definitely i kind of enjoyed my time with this but i never really felt like i got any better at it i was like okay i'm in control here i've got a lot of mobility options and you know the game's always doing a good job of tracking which player i'm in control of you know it's pretty easy for me to like steal the ball away from the opponent opposing team but i didn't really do a great job of like scoring points in this game and i never really felt like i got a handle on why that was yeah i feel like the uh, the goalie or keeper if you prefer is really good. Both of the goalies are not controlled by the players, uh, which is fine because, you know, they're they're yeah, effective enough. I'm actually good with that, yeah. yeah. For as tiny as the sprites are, everything reads fine on the field. Or the pitch, if you prefer. I want to dive more into this, but I'll be honest, I don't know enough about soccer to be confident that I'm using proper soccer words. So Me either. I know about as much about this game as I do about American football, which is to say not very much. I've actually watched more soccer than I have American football, but I, I still don't really have a, a very clear sense of of sort of what all the positions are or like kind of what the the sort of philosophies behind playing this game are really. So that probably gets in the way for me here. But I mean, like, while I I don't know a lot about soccer, I feel like passing is a pretty big deal. Like that's an important skill to have. The positioning of players and who you pass the ball to is a pretty important part of the game. I never felt like I needed to pass the ball. No, you just can, like, run from end to end in this, really. Yeah, pretty much. You know, looking around through the other game options, I was wondering if maybe there was a little more to it. There's a practice mode, but it basically just puts you on the field without another team there, and you can just kind of practice moving your player and kicking the ball into the net, or you can try kicking it into your own net if you want to practice against a goalie. Sure. Other than that, it's just a regular game mode with a regular timer and everything else. There's a world match mode, which I am assuming is supposed to be analogous to World Cup, and maybe that's like a a term they weren't actually allowed to use because it required licensing and such. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that's what was going on there. You pick which team you want to play as. You can adjust the standings of all of the teams in another menu if you want to. But, like, it's a strange sort of setup because, like, there's always going to be X amount of teams that are ranked F and X amount of teams that are ranked A and everything else in between. So, like, if you change the rankings, you're not actually adjusting how many teams are in the A rank. You're actually, like, switching, okay, this is now an A team and this is now a C team if you want to. That's an odd system. I don't know if there's anything analogous to that in real-world soccer, but I'm guessing there must be, because why else would you do it like this? That's so weird. Maybe it's just sort of the game's way of simplifying the variable difficulty, and it wouldn't be as fun if all of the teams played at roughly the same level, perhaps. But yeah, but when you go through the world match mode, only 
games in which uh, players are involved are actually played. Every other game just seems to be like they just pick a, a winner at random and they move on or, you know, they get a win or a point or however that works. I wasn't able to just sit back and watch a, a league of computer-controlled footballers play each other. That's too bad. I guess you'll probably have to wait for uh, whenever they start making, like, the FIFA games for for that to happen. Yeah, this game is it's just so simple. Like, I think there's just very little here. Yeah, I wasn't crazy about this one. Um, do you have anything else you wanted to say about it? No, not really. Uh, I I genuinely don't have anything else to any other thoughts about this one. I guess uh, let's rank it. There's a lot of parallels that I could draw between this and Bill Lambier's Combat Basketball. I think I had more fun with this, though. I agree, yeah. Bill Lambier's one saving grace is that you could play it two-player and probably have more fun, and, I mean, the same goes here, but you've got a better game that you're starting with. The, the moment-to-moment play of this is is reasonably fun, uh, which is not a thing that I could say about Bill Lambier. It definitely goes above that. So that's at 46. At 45, we've got, yeah, WWF Super WrestleMania. I think this is better than that. Uh, I found that game both boring and sort of inscrutable. Whereas with this one, I kind of just found it boring. Super Ghouls and Ghosts is above that, and I would probably put this above Super Ghouls and Ghosts. Then after that, we've got the Chess Master at number 43. The Chess Master may be the first one where I think there's some some reasonable comparisons here. The Chess Master, also a very simple game. Both in terms of presentation and what it's trying to do as a video game. Obviously, this is simplifying a more complex game in soccer. The Chess Master is, is essentially just a virtual game board you know it comes by that simplicity a little more honestly than this one does but they're both extremely simply presented games with not much going on even though like i i think this represents soccer worse than i think i think chess master does i was almost gonna say like despite that i think maybe it goes above it but actually maybe it doesn't there's a part of me that almost wants to put it within the ranks of like super bases loaded or something but super bases loaded at least has a lot more presentation going for it even if it's missing some key features like the basics of baseball are still there and it's it's just better presented my my gut feeling is that that I would probably put this between the Chess Master and Super Ghouls and Ghosts. Yeah, I think I'm okay with that. So, World League Soccer, congratulations, you are now our new number 44 game. Top 50 game. Top 50 game. That actually does mean something here, because the only games that are not in the top 50 at this point are RPM Racing and Pit Fighter. So, you're doing better than those, World League Soccer. All right, well, do we want to... uh... You want to move on to something else? Yeah, let's uh, let's do it. Let's move on to something very else. Yeah. <laughs> So next up, we've got what I'm assuming is pronounced Zardion. Yeah, Zardion. Okay. Much to my surprise, this is a side-scrolling run-and-gun platform game, although run might be a generous descriptor given how sluggish these things are. This is this is almost like an in-action game. <laughs> it's an amble-and-gun platform game. This one was published by Asmic, who also released D-Force. And this was developed by a company called Jorudon. Which I don't think I've ever heard of before. And uh, you won't hear from them here either, because they went uncredited on this game. I think they sort of uh, were maybe subcontracted or something like that. Uh, They worked on a handful of games. They are still around today, though they're mostly known for operating a public transit route navigation website in Japan. That might be a better use of their talents than game design, if, if this game's anything to go by. Possibly. Another interesting name that is associated with this game is Gynax, which is uh, credited as Assisted by. Gynax, if you're unfamiliar, is a studio behind uh, some pretty well-known anime titles, or anime if you prefer, uh, like uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, Fooly Cooly, Gurren Lagann is another one that I wrote down before I realized I couldn't pronounce it. Yeah, Gurren Lagann, they also did Nadia, The Secret of Blue Water, Gunbuster, uh, The Wings of Honiamese, uh, a bunch of stuff. They're a pretty big name in terms of sci-fi anime, basically. Their influence here is kind of interesting because it's very unclear like what they actually did. My guess is that you know, based on the the extreme disparity between uh, how sort of poorly thought out and sort of nonsensical the gameplay of this is, and how like 
evocative and incredibly downbeat the story of this game is, I feel like they probably gave the people who made this game like an outline for a show that they had been working on that like just didn't really pan out. And then they turned that outline into this game or something like that. Because the the story here is the only thing that I am at all interested in. Because we'll, we'll talk about the gameplay in a little bit. I don't think this is a good game, but I do think it's, it's an interesting story. And even if it's not an interesting story, it's got interesting ideas in it. Yeah, you know, my, my guess was that maybe they contributed to, like, the design of the mechs, since they do work on a lot of mech-heavy anime. Yeah, which they could have also done. Yeah, it's it's possible they did both. Uh, hearing more about the story, I think that your theory is probably more likely if they didn't just do both of those things. Uh, one other interesting thing about Gainax is that this is actually not the only game they were contributing to around this time. They also collaborated with a company called Game Arts on the Sega Genesis game Alicia Dragoon and are credited in the special thanks area. So once again, what their actual contribution to that game was is uh, somewhat nebulous. Thank you, Gynax, for having your fingers in some kind of surprising pies. Surprising pies. Great name for a band. Self-titled debut album. (laughs) So I do want to talk a little bit about the story here. Yeah, go for it. It's odd. The story of this game is that you have a solar system where there are three planets that have been at war with each other for the last, like, seven months. And... A new force of invading aliens has come and, like, attacked them, which has caused the three planets to kind of make an uneasy alliance and send a team of three mecha with, you know, pilots from each of their planets to go to the the enemy's home planet and stop the the invasion threat you control these three mecha and you can switch between them at any time they all control differently and they they supposedly have different strengths and weaknesses though i don't really know that that's true in gameplay terms you travel across each of their three planets and then you do get to the home planet of the invaders which it turns out is like kind of this biomechanical organism that was designed by a scientist who wanted to kind of make a new place for humanity to live. Uh, Things went wrong, he died, and then he gave his uh, supercomputer progeny this, this directive that it then... It turns out followed very badly and ultimately ended up attacking the the rest of uh, the the inhabited galaxy with. The game ends on like a really, really down note because of that. It's weirdly melancholy and not really something I've seen in any other game that is is from sort of this vintage. Certainly nothing else that like came out in this country. It's really interesting that this thing came out here completely untouched as far as actually being localized. Like, I don't think there was really any attempt to, like, sand off any of that sort of, like, moody anime weirdness from this. And that is pretty interesting. It's just really kind of a shame that nothing else about the game sort of, like, holds up to to that story. Yeah, the game uh, as a platformer also kind of goes for a more cinematic feel as well. Which uh, is kind of interesting. It's used to pretty good effect in some ways. Like early on in the game, the characters will stop and kind of helpfully let me know that there's a narrow passage that only the mech Panthera can fit through, which uh, was sort of my introduction to the fact that I've got access to three different mechs that I can switch among on the fly. There's another scene in which uh, the characters sort of let me know that they lacked the ability to defeat an enemy that they had just encountered and that they would have to backtrack later, which I really appreciated because it was a lot better than, you know, kind of making me bang my head against a boss battle that I maybe wouldn't have known that I could not win at that point. You know, those conversations are useful, but they also can really slow the game down as they seem to repeat every single time you go to the area in which that conversation gets triggered. And the conversations stop you in your tracks, so you just kind of have to mash through the dialogue to get control back. And that's kind of not great in a game where your characters already move pretty slowly. Yeah, this game feels really sluggish to to actually control no matter which character you're using. As bad as it feels to move around, I think it actually feels worse to shoot in this game. Yeah, only one character can actually shoot their default weapon in four directions, so you're really limited in how you can 
approach enemies, and enemies often come at you from various angles, and it doesn't feel like this game was interested in giving me characters that are actually equipped to handle what the game is throwing at me. And it's it's really frustrating. It's sort of the antithesis to something like Castlevania 4, which, you know, despite the fact that Simon has pretty sluggish movements himself, we praised that game for giving Simon the moveset to handle pretty much anything that came his way. It was just up to the player to learn how to utilize those moves properly. Where here, I just don't feel like I have that tool set at all. There's some other really frustrating game design decisions uh, in play here. While the game is generous and gives you infinite number of lives, it does make you completely start the level over if one of your mechs explodes. And even more infuriatingly, only the mech that exploded gets its health refilled. All the others will have their health bars drained to whatever they were at the time that you died, basically. It's a, it's a decision that I don't understand what the logic behind that was, and it, it makes everything a lot more frustrating to go through. Pickups are kind of few and far between, so it's, it's really frustrating needing to go back to the same area over and over again to refill health. And, oh boy, can we talk about this menu really fast? Oh, please, yes, let's talk about this menu. This is the worst menu I've ever seen in my life. The inventory menu that lets you swap between characters and also select your weapons is baffling to me. First of all, it's mapped to the select button. What the hell? This game does not use enough buttons to justify mapping that to the select button, I don't think. Yeah, like they had to map the start button to going back to the map screen, but you have to hit start and select to do that. So I don't know. But in any case, when you go to your inventory screen, you have the option to select between your mechs and you can see for whichever mech you have selected what their sub weapons are and also a just pool of items that's shared among all of the characters. But you can't seem to select any of those sub-weapons or items. What you have to do is press another face button, which will sound a chime indicating that you've moved on to a different part of the menu, but there's no visual indicator that that's happened. The only way you know this is when you hit up or down on the D-pad and suddenly now you're selecting sub-weapons instead of mechs. And then you have to do that again to access the items. It's completely unintuitive, and it should be taught in schools for game design and web design and any kind of user interface design at all what not to do. Like, it it almost took a conscious decision to make something this bad. It's to the extent where it feels like the person who did the, like menu design for this did not have any experience making games, let alone even playing them. Also, characters do not share experience points, which are gained whenever a character defeats an enemy. You also have to be cognizant of constantly swapping your characters around so that everybody stays pretty well leveled. According to a fact that I read, this becomes a pretty big roadblock later on in the game where one of the three mechs that you've been controlling goes away and is replaced by another one, which is really powerful, but starts at level one, forcing you to kind of backtrack through all the previous areas that you've already been to, to get that mech leveled up. And, and like, that's such a like awkward, like obvious, just like way of extending the game. That happens literally within the last level of the game. And there's no reason for it to work the way that it does, except for to make the game slightly longer by making you backtrack and go through those earlier areas again. I think I've said pretty much all I need to say about this game. Zardion has a premise and a setting and a visual aesthetic, maybe not animations, but, you know, like the mech design that that are all kind of promising and have some potential. And then it just squanders it all on really poor gameplay and just some really baffling and frustrating game mechanics. That's my read on this game as well, and I don't really have anything to add beyond that. Do we want to see where we think this goes on the list? Yeah, let's do it. I'm kind of looking at something like Smart Ball, which I also think has some pretty weird, wonky game mechanics that make the experience not fun. But I, I think that I think this game is almost kind of worse than Smart Ball, actually. I agree. Like, I think this game is about as unfun to actually play as any platform game that we've we've played so far. In that case, let's go down to Super Ghouls and Ghosts. Let's do it. At number 45. Well, what do you think of that matchup? Well, okay. So Super Ghouls and Ghosts also has sort of like a, a very stiff character, but that game at the very least does present you with uh, a bunch of different options for like sub weapons right off the bat. And it is as much as we, we sort of took Super Ghouls and Ghosts to school for its ridiculous over the top difficulty, 
that's just a better designed game than this. And I know from experience that game at least does get better as it goes along, whereas this one just doesn't. So, yeah, I would say I think this is a worse game than Super Ghouls and Ghosts. Yeah, I think Super Ghouls and Ghosts difficulty comes from, like, a purposefully unfriendly design, whereas... This just feels inept to me. Yes, yeah, yeah, I I completely agree. So, yeah, I think it goes below Super Ghouls and Ghosts at 45. Then we have WWF Super WrestleMania. Uh, Do you think this goes below that, too? That's, That's tougher, actually, because WWF Super WrestleMania really just does not have very much that I like in it at all. Like, I also think that it's it's not fun to play, but I also think it has almost no content and almost no ambition. This may be kind of a short conversation, but I actually kind of think, looking at the list now, I would maybe think Zardion goes between Super Ghouls and Ghosts and WWF Super WrestleMania. Yeah, like I said, there are elements of Zardion that show some promise that feels unfortunately squandered in a way that I don't, I mean, you know, WWF just kind of feels like the the cash-in wrestling game that they had to get out there early in the system's life. Yeah, I mean, I do think this is is at least more ambitious than than Super WrestleMania was. All right, so it sounds like we've got a new number 47. Congratulations, Zardion! Another top 50 game. Another one. I guess let's move on to our last game today. Well, actually, actually, before we do that, we are in a new month now. You're absolutely right. Which means it is time for uh, for our old friend Newsy to shine once more. Yeah, take it away, Newsy. It's May 1992. Lethal Weapon 3 premieres and goes on to make over $144 million. Chris Cross's jump continues to dominate the charts for the entire month. And Johnny Carson makes his final appearance as the host of The Tonight Show, passing the torch to Jay Leno. Back to you, Emmy Zero and Steampunk Link. All right. Thank you very much, Newsy. So, uh, yeah, we still got Chris Cross up there. Uh, I cannot believe how popular they were. Lethal Weapon 3 made $144 million. That's kind of surprising because it feels like interest in that franchise waned pretty quickly in Lethal Weapon 4. That one was not nearly as fondly remembered. Lethal Weapon 3, I think, was, was that the one that they introduced? the Joe Pesci character in, or was that Lethal Weapon 2? I'm wanting to say I think that was Lethal Weapon 2, but I am not nearly as up on my Lethal Weapon trivia as I should be, probably, so. And then Johnny Carson, who I, you know, for some reason, I don't think I realized he he was actually still hosting The Tonight Show that far into the 90s. Well, you know, I think he wasn't hosting it that much, is the thing. I think he was, like, taking long breaks, and they had, like, guest hosts in there, including Jay Leno. I think he was, like, technically the host, but he wasn't doing it as kind of, like, a full-time thing at that point okay that makes sense then it was still a very big deal when he like officially retired from the tonight show and it became the tonight show with jay leno all right well now that that's out of the way it's time to get out our canvas and paint some happy little trees uh we're talking about mario paint and uh this this one's gonna be this one's gonna be tough for me So uh, this was a game developed and uh, published by Nintendo, obviously. It's got Mario in the title, so most of those tend to be... Yep, if it's not a piece of edutainment software and it's got Mario in the title, it was probably made by Nintendo. Oh god, I can't wait till we get to cover some of those. But anyway, so Mario Paint is really not a game. Yeah, it's not. It's more like a suite of creative tools, albeit a suite severely limited by the SNES tech and the fact that uh, your creations are more or less kind of stuck on the game pack. But it was a really neat thing. I've got really, really fond memories of that game from back in the day, just just hours working on different animation projects. You actually owned this game back in the day, right? I did, yeah. I owned this one pretty early on. Um, I had this game. I loved it. I played the heck out of it back in the day when I was a kid. You know, I was I was getting ready to kind of, you know, just heap praise on this game. And I was almost thinking, like, I don't even need to go back and play this because I know this game so well. I'm just going to talk about it. And But, you know, I did fire it up in an emulator just to kind of get a sense of it again. And I, I didn't want to get out my Super Nintendo and, and my mouse that I had. And I'll talk a little bit more about that mouse in just a second. But, um... I fired it up and like hearing the music and and everything really brought back happy memories uh, from when I was a kid, but time has been really unkind to this. And I think like more than anything else, any game that we've covered, because creative software and what we can do with it has just made such huge leaps forward in almost 30 years uh, since this limited, and even likely for its time, toolset debut. It looks fun, it, it still makes me happy seeing it and hearing it, but 
trying to inv- invest any time in this tool set is a much more difficult proposition to me because I just feel like, why would I draw a picture here when I can make something so much more complex and interesting and not to mention do it a lot faster using something like GIMP? And why would I create a musical composition here when there are easy ways to do that in programs that include things like sharps and flats and more than two time signatures? Mario Paint feels like a thing I just can't go back to. I can't go back to a time before I understood the importance of sharps and flats when creating music, you know? I want to love Mario Paint as much as I did when I was younger, but time marches forward, and in this case, time has kind of made one of my favorite pieces of Sinest software obsolete. I'm coming at this from a a slightly different perspective than you, because I did play this when I was a kid. I think that I only rented this, though. I never owned it. My experience with it was limited to, like, a couple of weeks worth of having fun with it, where I made some musical compositions, I drew some things, I played a lot of the Flyswatter minigame, and... In that respect, it was really fun to go back to this because I approached it more like a toy than as any kind of like a thing where I was actually trying to create something, which is good because I absolutely could not figure out how to do the animation, but I did have fun kind of just playing around with the the very gamified user interface this has and the little Nintendo touches of like in the, the music composition section of this, being able to put down different icons for like essentially different like Mario power-ups to to represent different sounds is a very cool idea. It's simplified in a way that is, I think, very easy for like a kid who doesn't have any like background in, you know, reading music to understand, you know, how to kind of put together different combinations of sounds to to make music. I think I got more or less what I wanted out of revisiting this game for from like about half an hour of playing around with it. I went through the different brushes, I messed around with the music, I played the Flyswatter game, I I used the different uh, screen erase tools to to see all the, the fun, weird, like, animations for, for the, the screen getting cleared away. Those st- That stuff was all a lot of fun for me, and it kind of made me think about Nintendo's other forays into user interface design and and the ways in which they have always or for the most part, made that stuff really fun in a way it didn't necessarily need to be. Things like being able to hold down the shoulder buttons on the GameCube when you booted it up to to make the alternate boot-up sounds play, where it's like clown shoes. You know, that kind of thing. Um, all the stuff, all the weird little tactile things in Mario Maker, which Mario Maker in some ways is, is almost like a descendant of this game. There's a lot of overlap, both in like icons that call back to things in this and in just sort of the general overall thought process of the design between, like, how to make a thing where, like, the act of creating stuff with it is fun. But, you know, going back to one thing that you did say, you know, about how this would be a good My First Paint program for kids, even this probably doesn't hold up quite as well as one of those today. Like, there's probably already better things for that out there. But it makes me think of other times in which Nintendo or people making software for Nintendo systems went beyond the bounds of just making games and making, like, productivity software or things like that. And some things that come to mind are, like, My Personal Trainer Cooking and the My Language Coach series for the DS, which are all really good pieces of software. I actually used Personal Trainer Cooking a lot in the kitchen. It's a neat program. And it's something that I wish Nintendo would do more often. And I do wish that they would visit Mario Paint. Like, I don't think I want to see just a port of this, but I would like to see a new version of Mario Paint because I do think it would be a cool thing for getting kids into that creative mindset and into that creative space and then get them looking into other creation tools later on. You know, I I do wish Nintendo did that more often. And I wish Nintendo would go back to the well of Mario Paint because they really, they really didn't other than the, you know, aforementioned Mario Maker series and the Mario Artist Studio. I never played those. I never touched those, really. 
Well, that's because they only came out for the 64 disc drive, which never came out here. And so it was, it was kind of, uh, doomed. But yeah, so I mean, there, there are, there is still some really cool stuff. Like the, the, the toy aspect of Mario Paint is still a lot of fun. When you first boot it up, you have Mario running around the screen with the letters in Mario Paint, and you can click on those with the SNES mouse, and they all do different things and have weird little animations to them that are a lot of fun to explore. Nintendo Mouse is another thing that has not held up very well over the years. It was a trackball mouse. It actually came packaged with copies of Mario Paint. And being a trackball mouse, it just kind of means it, it relies on friction, and friction typically means you've got moving parts that are going to break down over time. Uh, thankfully, there are emulation options out there, and I believe that a company called Hyperkin has actually released an optical mouse that's compatible with the Super Nintendo. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, so if you want to go back and, and play it on the actual hardware, there are options out there for doing that, which is pretty neat. Now, one thing that was nice about the uh, the Super Nintendo mouse is that I think it didn't it come with a really good cleaning tool for for the trackball i'll be honest i do not remember people talk about that cleaning tool like say like you know oh yeah i kept that thing and used it until like trackball mice stopped being a thing because it was so good at cleaning the the trackball so it's something I, I don't remember i remember it came with a, a big plastic mouse pad that i still have i remember that interestingly whoever whatever store i rented this game from was willing to rent me not only the game and the mouse but also that big plastic mouse pad so so I did actually get like the full Mario Paint experience from that. As far as it goes, uh, I, I do still think this is a pretty neat thing. Uh, it is not a game. It's probably most purely it is it is essentially like a a creative toy. Basically, it it does hold up in that respect in that you know it's still fun to mess around with. But I don't know how much time you'd really want to spend with this game in this day and age. Yeah, and that's the problem. And that's why, you know, as, as much as I just want to heap praise upon this, I, it just comes with a lot of caveats because the prospect of actually making something with this is a pretty daunting task. And at the end of the day, you're left with something that is more or less confined to your copy of Mario Paint. I mean, there are ways in which you could, even back then, you could probably record it off the VCR or something like that with, you know, a certain setup. Actually, the uh, the very first Homestar Runner uh, cartoon was made in Mario Paint, apparently. That's right, yeah. That's probably the most famous existent separate thing that anybody ever made with Mario Paint. The other thing I will say that I, I did still have fun with, with with this game was the Stamp Maker, which is a pretty good way to get, you know, maybe budding pixel artists kind of, yeah. you know, creating stuff and learning how to create some decent pixel art and things like that. So it's so hard to go back now because, you know, anything that I make with this feels like it's just for fun and just for me. And I feel like I've got so little time to make things like that anymore. Like if I'm making something, it has to be to share with the public or to sell or whatever, you know, and maybe, maybe some of it's just, just the disappointment of being an adult and actually having to make stuff that's profitable. <laughs> yeah, I would say that if you want to play this game, you absolutely should go and play it because you will, I think, have a fun time, but just approach it as, as kind of like fun, interactive thing to mess around with and and to just sort of marinate in wacky surreal nintendo aesthetics basically uh in that in that sense if you approach it like that i think you will have a good time with it but i don't know that you can really expect much more from this game than that well is it time to try and rank this one i think so and this is gonna be really tough i have no idea how to even rank this game or to compare it to most of the other stuff that's on the list right now. My first inclination is that my biggest problem with this game is its obsolescence. Okay. And the only game that I feel like I've really made that same criticism for Adventure Island, which is at 38. Do you think this goes that low or do you think this should go somewhat higher than that? Even if just for the nostalgia aspect of it, I don't think I can put it that low. As far as like more creative sort of things go, I'm almost looking more, say, like a Sim City, which is at number 13. I think that this version of Sim City maybe hasn't become quite as obsolete as the Mario Paint program has. 
you know, I think maybe this version of SimCity still offers something unique. I think SimCity, for, for our purposes here, benefits quite a bit from actually being a game. Like a thing with like a progression of content that you can sit down and sort of get enmeshed with. Instead of just being a, a suite of fun, but kind of awkwardly laid out tools... I would say that I would give the edge to SimCity on this one. We have Legend of the Mystical Ninja at number 14. This is less frustrating than Legend of the Mystical Ninja to to use, I think. Once again, uh, the argument could be made that I, like I said, got everything I wanted out of Mario Paint in about half an hour. And Legend of the Mystical Ninja, for all the issues that it has that we talked about when we ranked that game, there's more fun to be had with playing that game especially with a, a second person i think the the biggest draw for mario paint at this point is just all of the little weird things that are on the periphery that you can poke around with yeah definitely and i think legend of the mystical ninja has that too but it also has you know like a more full gaming experience yeah so, yeah honestly i think Right below that, East 3, Wanderers from East, is where it stops dropping because East 3 doesn't have a lot of cool little things to poke around with. It's pretty linear, pretty straightforward, you know, and I mean, it's a good game. But it's a very normal sort of game in its way. It's not really trying to do anything super unique or unusual. I think that Mario Paint is is a much more distinctive and, and interesting thing than East 3 is, for sure. Think new number 15? I, I, I'm looking at everything below it, and I don't think anything makes me quite as happy as the idea of Mario Paint, even if it still doesn't quite hold up the way I would. I, I wish it did. Yeah, I think new number 15. Hey, sounds great to me. So that is four more games on the list. Mario Paint at number 15. Bringing the full list to 54 games at this point. Pit Fighter still down at the very, very bottom. Uh, Super Mario World still at the very top. So right now in the middle is number 27. Oh, hey, it's still John Madden Football. John Madden Football is just going to eternally be the middle of the pack, I guess. <laughs> Amazing. That's really incredible. I'm going to just kind of compose myself here. I'll go cry in the corner later thinking about Mario Paint. And, 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 and your, lost, your lost childhood, your lost lack of of innocence or having the time to to make anything that's not going to be monetized for uh <laughs> right. consumption on on the internet. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, this the this this late stage capitalist nightmare that we're all living through. <sighs> anyway, um hey, why don't we talk about what we're going to do next time? Yes, let's do that. All right. So next up, we've got Jack Nicholas Golf, not to be confused with Jack Nicholson Golf. We've got uh Arcana Hey, maybe our friends over at HAL. All right. Romance of the Three Kingdoms 2. Not sure how that's going to go. <laughs> I don't know how how deeply we're going to be able to get into that one, but we'll see. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that'll that be a whole conversation, I think. And uh, But finally, rounding it out, we've got The Rocketeer. Ooh, a movie license game. I'm excited for that. Those have gone great so far. Well, you know, hey, sometimes they're the Adams Family. Sometimes they're Home Alone, but sometimes they're the Adams Family. And I genuinely have no idea what end of the scale the Rocketeer is going to fall on. Folks, well, thank you all so much for listening. Until next time, I am Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. Play it loud. Our intro outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoax, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty free at technoax.com. For more of our content, check out honestpiranha.com. Thanks for listening. So this game is uh, the first soccer game we've had on the Super Nintendo, I think. Or uh, uh, football, if you prefer. Yeah, the footy. Uh a little little cheeky bit of footy here. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, well that 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 was not, that wasn't even an accent. I don't know what that was. I do not apologize for for my accent. <sighs> <laughs> Hello, governor. <laughs> Let's go play some footy. <laughs> there, that was an accent. That was that was me actually trying to do an accent, unlike what I did before, where I just sort of said some words that that sounded like they should have an accent, but they didn't.